Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we talk about the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my Army Commander-in-Chief, Palmer. How are you today? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. One would say I am on a mission to make this episode one of our best episodes possible. I know it's just the two of us. We don't make much of a platoon. This is But, true. you know, I tried to get Hannah and her sisters here. And they just but they, then you realize you don't know a Hannah. I don't. Do I know a Hannah? No, I do know a Hannah. I just really, <laughs> I was really questioning myself for a second there. But you know what? At the end of the day, I just figured, you know what? We're we're we, in a room with a view. We're in a room with a view, and we are but children of a lesser god, and we can just do these things ourselves. So these are all the movies that we're covering today. <laughs> if you were paying close attention, 1987 Best Picture nominees. They are as follows: The Mission, Children of a Lesser God. A Room with a View, Platoon, and Hannah and Her Sisters. Mm-hmm. What do you think won Best Picture? Uh, that is a good question. Oh, uh, you don't know, you I say. don't. I want to say Children of a Lesser God. Wow, interesting choice, because it's kind of like a, for 1987 or 1986, when it was released, it's kind of a risky, you know, risky yeah, venture. Right, which, I mean, the Academy has awarded in the past. Mm, that's that's true. You don't think that it's perhaps one of the more epic in scope ones or the period piece to which the Academy loves so much? Uh, no, well, my my instincts are children of a lesser god. Mm-hmm. Um, my follow-up would be platoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably a room with a view. I don't think I think the mission is a little too religious centric mm. for the eighties. For the eighties, I mean, also they they don't. I don't think they've really awarded religious ten commandments. Oh yeah. Um, and then what, what was the other one? Hannah and her sisters. I don't think Woody. I don't think any Woody Allen film has actually won best picture. That's I don't think so either. No, no, Did I think it, you're right. Yeah, I don't think Annie Hall won. Annie Hall didn't. Um, Midnight in Paris did not. He's gotten other awards for yeah, like those he films. Gets, like director awards, get a writing director, awards, writing. But overall, the movie doesn't typically win best picture, um, even if they're not. I'm needed. just going to be happy that that uh, Annie Hall didn't win, so that way I can at least make the claim when we find out he had won that one. I'd be like, we haven't done that episode yet. So as long as Annie Hall didn't win, I'm good. No, Annie Hall was, Annie Hall was last season. Last season. Yeah. It was 1978. And I think that was the deer hunter. Was it? That was, that was the star. Was that star Wars? That was star Wars. I'm pretty sure it was the deer hunter. Okay. I'm almost positive. I mean, the notebook's right there. If you want to, if you want to grab it, is it the blue or red one? It's the blue. It's like the bluish green one. Because I'm going to check this out. Well, you have to undo the little binding. Okay, well, I don't well, get your security system. <laughs> well, you do that. I'm just going to tell you that Platoon was the Academy Award. Platoon one. Okay. Mm-hmm. My assumption before talking about Platoon is that. It's the first Vietnam movie to say, hey, not every American there was great. 
you know, the deer hunter in like the deer hunter was like, this is the effects of war Mm -hmm. and what it does to good people. This is like, hey, there are some bad people that are there. Right. And so I think it was a maybe a more profound statement for for the Academy to award it in 1987, which is why I think they went in that direction. Um, And it's a and it's a war movie. The and Academy it's a war does movie. love war movies. They do love a good war movie, but we're not going to talk about it to the end. It's not in that notebook. It's is not it? in that notebook. Oh, that's upsetting. Womp womp. It's probably not in that notebook right there either. I think that's a Supergirl notebook, to be perfectly honest, because uh, it's red. It, yeah, it looks like one. Yep, Karen Alex. Yeah. <laughs> not characters in these movies, but we are going to start off with... We are going to start off with The Mission, talking about The Mission, okay. directed by Roland Joffe, written by Robert Bolt, starring or cast uh, Robert De Niro, Jeremy Irons, Ray uh, McAnally, uh, McAnally, the guy McAnally. who created those globes, the the Cardinal, ah. he was just the Cardinal, and a all but silent Liam Neeson, <laughs> uh, doesn't say much, but there he was. <laughs> We need an Irish actor who doesn't speak. You there, boy. You. So uh, the mission is uh, the story about a, uh, a Catholic mission uh, during the uh, during the Portuguese conquest of um, of South America, mm-hmm. and it kind of sits at the top of it sits at the top of a waterfall. The Amazon, the Amaz- the um the big waterfall in the Amazon, which I can't think of its real name for the life of me. The right Amazonian now. waterfall. There you go. Good. And so um and so the story is really about Robert De Niro's character who's a conquistador of sorts uh who is going and enslaving enslaving the natives and selling and selling them off. And then there is the Jesuit priest played by Jeremy Irons, the uh, first time he played a Jesuit, but certainly not the last time. The Man in the Iron Mask. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, and so it's kind of about Robert De Niro's path to redemption. But then does he quite get there? We're not really, you know, we're not really sure. And so then there's the political jarring of like, are they people? Are they not? Are the natives people? Are they not people? And, you know, the spoiler, the, they are. The spoiler, they are. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the church is like, uh, yeah, uh, they're people. Yeah. Because we're all people. And then and then the government is like, ah, but they're not. They're just not. Um, so it's a big back and forth. And that that basically is the movie without giving too much away. I'd seen this movie. Which I will do soon. Okay. I'd seen this movie a few times already. Yeah, you told me. Um, I quite enjoy it. I actually remember enjoying it more than I did this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is a incredibly well shot movie. I think it is a it I think it captures the jungle and the kind of um the uh opposite um opposite cultures well mm-hmm. that that being said it did win uh best cinematography okay and it was nominated for best picture obviously director and then uh costumes editing music didn't win any of those no no was Oh, was this the one that I really liked the music in? Yeah, Ernio Morricone. I bet yeah, you, this yeah. one. Yeah, this music yeah. was really good. Um, but yeah, no, I I really liked the music. 
the the landscapes or the mm-hmm. forest um, looked very dense, but still, but still kind of beautiful. Sure. There's opposite. Do you like deforestation? That, no, but <laughs> I I prefer a sparse uh, helping of trees <laughs> in in the rainforest. In the rainforest. Um, yeah. No, I I was a little underwhelmed. You know. That's a great actually that's a great way of putting it because I think when people think fondly of this film they remember a few key things. Okay. Uh, they think of one the I think the cinematography is really good. Yeah. I think the music is really good. The main piece is called Gabriel's Oboe if you were if you were oh, wondering. Nice. Okay. Um and it is referenced in the movie The Holiday by Jack Black. If, really? You know that scene where he's going around in the blockbuster and he's like telling Kate Winslet to watch all those movies? Yeah. He pulls out the mission and he's like, you ever seen this? You got to watch it. You can't got to watch it. You have to watch it. <laughs> um, and I think people remember a lot of that. I think De Niro's performance is really good. I think it's maybe not his best, but it's good. It's it's his mo- it's one of his more subtle ones. It's very subtle. I agree. Like he's not he's not screaming, he's not yelling. Mm-mm. He's not telling people he wants their dog dead. I want his dog dead. His wife dead. Yeah. Uh just, just kill the mayor. <laughs> just kill the mayor. Um I uh Forgot what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. I think Jeremy Irons' performance is also really good. But I think the movie kind of rushes to get to a point and then really drags and then picks up again at the end. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I can I see what you're saying. And I wish because this has, as you said, this has three different storylines going on. Mm-hmm. You have them trying to bring. Um, uh, the mission to the jungle. That's right. And to get these people on board. That's right. And that happens for at the beginning of the movie where they're essentially like killing a a priest who went there before. Yeah, they crucify him and then send him down the river, down the waterfall. Right. And Jeremy Irons is like, my turn next. Better go. Let's yeah, try and Jeremy Irons shows up, plays plays his flute, and they're all like, it's, "All right, it's we an believe oboe, in Jesus now." Gabriel's oboe. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, he plays his oboe, and they're like, "We believe in Jesus now." Okay, well, it's not that quick, but I understand. No, what but you like mean. the but it, the, he, the movie kind of tr- glosses over that, mm-hmm. and then you have the Robert De Niro um, storyline where he kills his brother for. Reasons. I, I, my whole thing was he was sleeping with his girlfriend or wife. Gotcha. So that's what I'm assuming. I think that that is correct. Yeah. And so his redemption is he's in prison, mm-hmm. and he's allowed to get out of prison if he goes to help with the the, with mission. the mission. That's correct. And he finds Jesus. That's correct. So you have those two storylines, and then you have the third storyline of the political the political aspect of. Of, are they free? Are they people? Well, I was going to say Portugal. Is it Portugal, Portugal. and yeah. Spain? Mm-hmm. One giving one giving the land to the other, mm-hmm. and their whole thing of we want these missions gone because we don't see them as people. That's right. So those three distinct storylines, I think, kind of get muddled in this one movie. I I don't know if they. I wouldn't. I don't think they're muddled. I just think that they reach a point where they stop caring about one so it kind of like we we're supposed to care about Jeremy Irons yeah. and then until we don't 
And then we're supposed to care about Robert De Niro until we don't. And then we're supposed to care about the people until we don't. And then we're all supposed to care about them together. Yeah. And we kind of do. I mean, the end, I think, is I think the end, I think, is powerful. But so I think when I said people remember certain things, I think they remember what it looks like. I think they remember the um, I think they remember the music. And I I, and I think they remember Robert De Niro's climb when he when his like penance is that he has to climb the waterfall with his armor. Right. Which is great. And they were like, not only that, he also has to drag him. Yes, that's like, right. right. But I love that. I love that the priests were like, "You can leave it." He's like, "No, nah, I'm good. I'm going to carry it." Like they're like, "Okay, dude, you're going a little hard." <laughs> I, I almost texted you when uh, when I was watching it last night, and I almost texted you the the quote from The Simpsons: "Take off the stone of shame and <laughs> attach the stone of triumph." Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it what is. it was. Um, but so, I think his, his evolution or his progression to to uh, to self not selfless necessarily, but you know, like almost pacifist. I forget. I've forgiven myself. I'm their defender now. It almost happens a little too soon. Yeah. And he, so it, yeah. And so it's just not so. So when the like the political side of it pops up and he's kind of like, no, we need to defend them. He's like, well, you haven't quite made it there yet, but I don't really, but I didn't really, you, you like took a break. Yeah. And then it, it was oddly structured that way. I wish, I wish the storyline would have been more when we first meet Jeremy Irons, he already has Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Kind of with him. Sure. And they just kind of explain like this, you know, it's his penance or whatever. And you take if you take out his kind of story towards the first third of the movie, mm-hmm. then you can kind of focus on more of them building the mission and the hardships of them trying to convert these people that they really can't communicate with at the at the start. Mm-hmm. And then that would make me care more. And then you can kind of bring bring in the political aspect. Mm-hmm. And all you're doing is kind of truncating. Robert De Niro's thing to he's already there. This is why he's there. Boom, let's get on. That's it. That's an interesting perspective because I almost take the opposite of that where I don't want him there really until the middle, if not the end. So I thought it would be I thought it would be more interesting to see because, you know, there's that scene where he's like he's capturing them and killing them. He's hiding in the jungle. Yeah. And I'm like, that's it was kind of thrilling. It was it was interesting. And I would kind of like to see De Niro and Irons at odds, you know, through the movie. And then and then and then he shifts somewhere in the middle and and helps and then is kind of like in the process of his penance when he decides to protect them. Yeah. You know, but like he kind of goes from like zero to hero with like penance being this tiny little bit of it and then regresses. It's like a, it's a weird, it's a weird combo. Mm-hmm. Um, plus I, it takes years to become a Jesuit. Like, like tw- it's like a 12 year study now from beginning to minutes. end. And he, he did it in five minutes. I, I do like how Jeremy Irons kind of gives him, gives him guff when he's like, I'm going to stay here and protect these people. And Jeremy Irons is like, you know, if you get blood on your hands, you know, you're, that's not us. You're out. Mm-hmm. 
and yet you have Liam Neeson there in a boat shooting people. I like, I don't, like, Liam, it's fine. It's Liam Neeson. It's Liam Neeson. He'll be an action hero <laughs> in, like, 30 years. It's great. Uh, so the other thing that I thought of when watching this is um, they, to defend their mission, all they had to do was get a bunch of people at the top of the cliffs, mm-hmm. and as the first guys show up, you kill them and you push them off the cliffs. And then when the next guys show up, you do the same thing. Because apparently that was the only way to get to this place. It's a, you know, you're not, you're not wrong. It's almost kind of like a fortress. Like you get, they put the ladder up and they crawl up. But if you just push the ladder down. Then exactly. Just fall down. Yeah, I agree. Well, anyway, mm-hmm. that's the mission. I actually do think it's worth a watch. I think it's worth a watch for the things that I said. Yeah. And... Yeah, and there's some really powerful imagery in there when when Jeremy Irons walking out at the end with the monstrans and they're all oh, that and they're is, all joining that is a, him. Yeah. It's a really nice. I mean the the end sequences are really good. It's the beginning and the end. It's great. <laughs> yeah, the beginning. The it's beginning's like okay. The first third and then the end. Yeah, it's just that middle bit. Once he ascends, once he ascends the water, once De Niro ascends the waterfall, uh, like it's not as interesting. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But it rushes to get to that part. It it does. Yeah. All of a sudden I was like, Oh my god, it was it Aiden, was it Aiden Quinn? Yeah. Yeah. Or Anthony Quinn. Anthony Quinn. I was like, Oh, he's dead. Oh my god, he's dead. <laughs> anyway, that's that. Let's move on to Children of a Lesser God. Wait, oh, I you have, have fun facts. Fun facts. I'm gonna listen, close my eyes. Okay. Most of the natives were actual natives that were allowed to say whatever they wanted. And most people assume that they just were cursing the entire time. I knew they were actual natives. I did not know they were allowed to say whatever they wanted. That's hilarious. Also, most of the cast and crew became ill with dysentery. That does not surprise me. Robert De Niro did not. That also doesn't surprise me for some reason. He's like, I'm just going to will myself not to have dysentery because I'm Robert De Niro. That's, that sounds like Robert De Niro. Yeah, right? Yeah. It makes sense. And everyone's like, okay. I liked his hair in this movie. It looked good. It was nice. It was and nice. his full beard. His full beard with long hair. It was a good look for him. Children of a Lesser God, directed by Rhonda Haynes, written by Hesper Anderson, based on the play by Mark uh, Madoff, although he did also help write the screenplay. Starring William Hurt, Marley Matten, and Piper Laurie. This film was nominated for Best Picture Actor, Supporting Actor, and Adapted Screenplay. It did not win any of those, but it did win for Best Actress for Marley Matten. I believe it's Matlin. Matlin. Oh, yeah, you'd be right. Yeah. I missed missed a letter when I was saying things. Children of a Lesser God tells the story of William Hurt, who is a teacher for the deaf who goes um, to start his edu- uh, to start teaching at this uh, at this other at this little small island school? It, this film, this movie was filmed in Nova Scotia. I don't know if the school is in Nova Scotia. It doesn't really it doesn't really say like the school supposed to be in Nova Scotia. Yeah, I don't know if it's supposed Probably to be not. where it's filmed. No, so I kind of thought it was like a like a New like England coast of Maine, kind of kind of thing. Um, and it's a school for the deaf, and he's he's got odd oddball way of doing things in in the classroom which are which is which is kind of working and he falls in love with the janitor played by marley Matten, uh 
who is who is completely who is completely deaf. She does not. Um, she won't even attempt. She won't even attempt to speak. Um, as opposed to the as opposed to um, the other kid, the kids in the classroom who are learning to speak better um, in yeah. William Hurt's class, and that's and so the the movie is really about her kind of overcoming herself and the obstacles that life has put in front of her with his help, though he is arguably maybe not doing it the the he's he's being supportive but he's being like aggressively supportive. Yeah. Um and that's that's the movie. We always joke that the 80s are the sexy 80s and this is the really the only movie that kind of fits that category. It's this it is yeah. kind of it's a little sexy 80s in some bits like the like the pool sequences yeah. and stuff like that, you know, because you can't hear anything in the pool underwater. I get you. Anyway, no. um, I really liked I really liked William Hurt's performance in this. I thought he it was, was it was great to see him actually show emotion, unlike that last eighties movie we saw. Him. I agree. Yeah, well, that was a bit of his character. He was supposed to be dumb and pretty. That was a uh, news and broadcast news. No, no, no. That was it. Was the other one that I hated. No. Um. Oh, the the, the, the the death of a salesman or whatever it was. was. Not death. Of a, it was not. Are death you sure? Of a salesman. I'm positive. It was not death of a salesman. Oh, I wish I had my other notebook here. I know. It's amazing. Well, keep talking. When you watch so many movies, it's hard to keep them all straight. My point is, he was. He. I like William Hart a lot, and this was one of the best because uh, he's been in m- not most of the films that we've. Looked at around this time, you know, by season three. But he's in at least one of them. He's in, like in he's every season. He's in at least one of them every season. Yeah, yeah. And this was out of the uh, those other Mainly all movies, of the eighties. I think so. <laughs> out of those other three, this was definitely his best role. I this like movies kind of like half Dead Poet Society, inspirational teacher movie, half eighties love story. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. I, it, some of it is some of the writing is very clever. You see a lot of the even accidental discrimination that comes that comes across, like the principal of the school, like when people don't talk, people assume they're dumb, and you know, like that poker scene, like you really see that. Like, good job, you did a good job with her. Who's a good girl? Yeah, kind. And it's like it's a sad. You know, my grandfather was deaf, so it's like. It like hits a bit mm-hmm. in, in this movie. It hit me in a way that maybe it, it wouldn't if you don't have somebody that's deaf in your family. And so, and he wasn't. I mean, he lost his hearing when he was an adult, and so this is not like you know it wasn't anything like he went through. But mm-hmm. even that, even still, so I, I I I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I thought I would. Um, Marley Marley Matlin won. Best actress, and yes. I think deservedly so. In in this, watching her in this movie, I thought she was she was quite good. Yes, she was. Yes, okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, this movie, this movie had the feel of like a Lean on Me, Dead Poet Society, inspirational teacher, mm-hmm. and that's how it kind of started off. To sir with love, yeah, and I even I even texted you. I even texted you when I first started watching it, where they kind of pan across his 
his students. He literally only has five students that you see in his class. Now, that's probably just, just one class. Just about. But that's the class that you kind of, like, that's the class you follow. That's right. So he obviously had more students. But the one student, the one pan across that he has is pretty much just the breakfast club. It is the breakfast club. Totally. You know, and this is, I, the, this is the kid that doesn't want to do anything. And I do really love his, I really love William Hurt's performance in this. And I like it more than broadcast news, which I liked quite a bit. Accidental Tourist was the one that we were that the we were Deer talking Hunter about. Nineteen seventy nine, by the way. Huh? The Deer Hunter was nineteen seventy nine, by the way. Yes. Um, I don't know if we ever the Accidental Tourist is that we said the one yeah. we were talking about. That yeah. was the one we were talking about. I found. And um, he he played such a wonderful role in this film, and I thought he did really good. I also kind of liked. How sometimes in in movies, there's two kinds of ways of of shooting some stuff. There is we want to make sure everyone is perfect all the time, mm-hmm. and then there's times where you're sitting there going, "Oh, did they screw that up?" And there's so many times in this movie where people are interacting with deaf people, and you and obviously everyone knows they're deaf. Everyone knows they're hard of hearing. And they still do or say something like they were talking to someone who could hear perfectly. And there are times that I'm sitting there going, did they intentionally do that or was that like a screw up? Like, I think they intentionally did that because they right. they want to show the... Like how hard it is to, to remember this. Like him right. yelling at Marley Matlin as she's running away from him. That's right. And even the principal's like yelling yelling at the back of a deaf person. Good That's one. A, Good yeah. one, James. Yeah. yeah. G- Keep yeah. keep those great teaching things coming. Exactly. Um, William, it was broadcast news was the other one. Yeah, broadcast news was the other one. Yeah, but he actually had some sort of he actually had some sort of emotions in that. I was thinking of Accidental Tourist, where he was just like like everything was just so deadpan. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Um, the uh, the music in this is is also Annie Hall did win Best Picture, FYI. <sighs> I'm looking at it. It was 78 was the turning point. The Goodbye Girl, Julia Star Wars, and Annie Hall. Annie Hall won. Wow. But, I mean, look at that lineup. It should have been Star Wars. Just saying. It, it should have been uh, The Star Apartment. Wars. The Goodbye, um, Goodbye that, Girl. That was it. Goodbye Girl. Yeah. I loved that movie. Goodbye Girl was great. Yeah. I was thinking about it the other day, too. It just popped into my head. Because you were anyway, telling a girl goodbye. Maybe. I did say goodbye to your mom. So, Marley Matlin... Uh, goes. Uh, this is her first role, mm-hmm. and she kind of goes off from here to L.A. Law. Yep. Uh, for several seasons, um, she then goes to Westworld. Uh, not Westworld. West Wing. West Wing. She plays the. She was great in the West oh, Wing. I loved her in the West Wing. I've really liked her since I've since I've known about her, mm-hmm. which is weird because I haven't seen much stuff with her in it. Like I never really watched L.A. Law, but I knew of her. She was on Quantico. She was on Quantico. She was also in. Um, that movie, no the sh- the Showtime, about. the Showtime series. There's a lot of those. The Queerest Folk. Oh, okay. Nailed it. Yep, you're a good person. You didn't yeah. even look that up. I didn't even. So this movie, uh, this movie is done really well, and it. Um, I I did. I really enjoyed it. I liked the romantic aspect of it. Once I knew she wasn't a student, because 
because when I first read the write-up for this, I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch a teacher try and date a student. Yeah, it was a weird, I agree, the synopsis does not match the movie, <laughs> because once they were like, oh, that's the janitor, I was like, oh, oh. no, that's not what the write-up says. Yeah, no. It was so weird. She was a student there, but she kind of stayed there. Yeah, she's a, she's a 26-year-old adult. Yeah. Like, it was crazy. That Yeah. But this is a good instance of, like, two halves of a different movie merging well. Like, there's the half of the movie where he's trying to reach these these deaf students through his quirky ways. And then there's the other half of this movie where he like, he wants to have a relationship with this woman. But he also feels it's incumbent upon him to help her. Good word, incumbent. Thank you. Um, I would definitely agree with all of those things. I don't think it... the I think the teaching bit gets a little bit left by the wayside. It definitely does. And so that's the only that's the I wish only, there was more of it. Yeah, that's the only part that I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of. But ultimately I really enjoyed this movie. What I think was great is that William Hurt it didn't get annoying that he was he basically said the whole like he said everything he signed and then he said everything that was signed to him so the audience would understand what was going on and it didn't get annoying or repetitive no and i can see i can see why you i can see why you're calling that out but that's one of those realism factors like more the a lot of people that i've seen that sign no, that, no, no, I'm not saying, I'm also not, do that. I'm not, I'm, I'm saying that I watched a two hour movie where the majority of the time William Hurt is talking to the audience in yeah. a sense, you know what I mean? And he did it in a way that did it, that did I, great I audio. think it helps because you need him to, to kind of tell you what other people are saying. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I think that helps out a lot. Um, but I, yeah, I I really liked the signing in this. Um, I've become, I I've kind of gotten into sign language. Like I haven't started learning it. I want to. When I, after watching this movie? No, I st- I started wanting to learn before this movie, and I learned like using Google. I've been able to learn mm-hmm. a few phrases, but seeing seeing it all like it's one of I don't know. I just find it so fascinating mm-hmm. and kind of beautiful. The like the American Sign Language yep. ASL ASL, yep. um, and so to see an entire movie where it's going on and them and them saying the words, and even like the speed, like the speed Marley Matlin does at the beginning, mm-hmm. and she does it solely just so that way you can't understand her or, you know, to kind of, to kind of tick you off because she's talking so fast. Mm-hmm. I just love how exp- how full of expression it is. Yeah, I absolutely agree. She's she's amazing. Yeah. Fun facts? Fun facts. This is the first film since 1926, you'd be surprised, to cast a deaf-slash-hard-of-hearing actor in the major role. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, because the um, Johnny... Johnny Belinda. Johnny Belinda... She was not. She yeah, was not same really thing deaf. with the miracle worker. This yeah. it actually they one of the other facts was, you know, when you have Johnny Belinda and the miracle worker and the miracle worker and the miracle worker, mm-hmm. you have all these movies. The, the more most of the people in this movie that play deaf or hard of hearing people are deaf or hard of hearing. It's good. So, this is the first film directed by a woman to be nominated for best picture. Really? Yes. 
Jeez. And at the 1987. Tender... Yep. That's the, crazy. At the tender age of 21 years and 218 days, Marley Matlin is the youngest Best Actress winner. Still. Still? Yes. Tw- at 21. 21 years old and 218 days. Wow. Who's after her, do you know? I do not know. Because Jodie Foster didn't win when she was nominated when she was a kid, right? Correct. And then Haley believe, Joe Osment didn't win. Yeah, I believe Anna Paquin won, but that was for Best Supporting. Oh, so this is very specific. It's best this is very actress. Su- yeah, this is specific to Best Actress, not okay. Best Supporting that's, or anything else. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Are you ready to move on? Sure. We're going to look at A Room with a View. Isn't it so nice? I it mean, is. my curtains are closed right now. So I know. But, but view, I mean, it's okay. about the same views in this movie. Absolutely. We do. I do live in Florence. <laughs> you are correct. Actually, fun fact. I, I'll tell you after. It actually fits better into the it, later into the um, talking about this movie. Directed by James Ivory. Written by uh, Ruth Prower. Uh, yeah. Hob- Yabvala. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, <laughs> come at me. Um, based on the novel by E.M. Forster, starring Helena Baham Carter, Maggie Smith, Denholm Elliott, and Julian Sands. Also with Simon Callow, Daniel Day-Lewis, Judy Dench, and Rupert Graves. Did I miss anybody fun? Because this movie was kind of so. stacked. Okay. This movie was nominated for a bunch and won a bunch. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, also Supporting Actress, Best Director, and Best Cinematography. It won Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, which is now Production Design, and Best Costumes. Yeah. Period piece. It's a period yeah, piece. Yeah, but not much of one. Yeah, but think about the other movies in at least the Best Picture category. Yeah. And, you know... You know, I'll give it that. They're intricately designed and stuff. So this tells the story of Lucy, who is basically rebelling or wants to rebel against her high-class lifestyle, pretty much. Um, By going on an extravagant trip to Italy. So she goes on this extravagant trip to Italy with Maggie Smith. I mean, why wouldn't you want to <laughs> do that? And then... Uh, and so their room does not have a view, and so this no. so the the very brash man at the table by their standards, also known as Marcus Brody. Oh, <laughs> I was hoping you weren't going to say that. Obviously, it I was, was Marcus say- Brody from Indiana Jones. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> as I was watching last, as I was watching this last night, I even tweeted out. Got lost in his own museum. That's huh? that's fantastic. <laughs> that's fantastic. My, I saw. I was watching. Obviously, I'm watching by myself. Yeah. And he shows up, and to myself, I go, ah, Max Brody, sir. <laughs> I was so happy to see him. I didn't know he was in this movie. Anyway, he and his son, Julian Sands, kind of offer to, they offer to switch rooms. They're like, we have a view, but we're men. We don't care. We don't need the view. <laughs> and so and so they kind of, the girls kind of take them up on this offer, which kind of leads Julian Sands and Lucy, Helena Baham Carter, down this path of a, a kind of affair because she's kind of engaged to Daniel Day Lewis. No, she's she's not engaged at the time. That's right. Kind of like she's like 
almost engaged okay. to Daniel. That's why I said kind of, not, okay. yeah. She's not quite there yet. Now, my point with the room with the view, the view is of Florence and mostly of the Duomo, which is the, the big cathedral there. And it is beautiful. A number of years ago, I was, in, I was, in, this is, I want to get my high class lifestyle. I was in Italy and I was staying at a hotel that did not have a great view. So you switched with two ladies. I did not, but um, they had a rooftop garden sitting area, and so I went upstairs, and that was the view. Like, basically what you saw in the movie is also what the view at the top of the hotel was where I stayed, so I spent a few nights out there, and it was tremendous. Not sleeping, obviously, because, you know, bird poop and such. But They didn't have a canopy? mm, Over one of the couches they did. That was about it, mm. but then, but you kind of the canopy blocks the view. Yeah. So, anyway, that was my my own non my roof of the view story. Well, that story was far more interesting than this movie. Oh uh, yeah, I knew I knew you wouldn't like this movie. Uh, I I kind of did, and I kind of didn't. I liked the idea of I liked the idea of her. I'm going to actually sell you this movie. You can try. Okay, so this movie is Titanic without the Titanic. No. Yep, I did it. Yep. No. She is engaged. It's a high-class woman who is engaged. Not yet. Almost engaged to a man that is not right for her, and she's just going to go through it anyway, but she has this kind of sordid love affair with a man who probably also isn't right for her, but she goes for it anyway, and then um, and then things go... One way or the other, you are you are severely misrepresenting this movie. I, yeah, I know it sounds a lot. This, this sordid love affair is a kiss. Okay, well, it's accurate. It's an accurate <laughs> timepiece. I'm sorry. My point is that I like this idea that the room has a view. I like the idea that the room has a view. So no, but the room. It's not just. It's not just that it has a view. The view is of the life that she wants and doesn't have that's the point right and so she does so she she gets to the hotel and she is like stuck in a place she doesn't want to be very physically and metaphorically and this handsome man offers her a room with a view he offers her a different view of life and so the view represents the life that she wants and like so she becomes entangled with this guy because he offers her this Literal room with a view and the the mm-hmm. metaphysical view. That's why it's called a room with a view. But like, did I make it better for you in that moment? Kind of, but the th- I mean the 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 thing is like even going back to your Titanic comparison, where she's trapped in a she's trapped in a relationship with somebody who's not right for her. A delightful Daniel Day Lewis. I was going to say he's not. Like he's not a bad guy. No, in not this movie. No, not at all. He's kind of whatever. He's like. He's like, what is his philosophy of life? Like, if I don't have to work, I won't. The end. Right. I mean, that's not a bad philosophy. I mean, he doesn't have to work. But he's not that rich. He's not adding anything to society. He's not doing anything. He's just being. He's kind of a louse, I guess. Yeah. I mean, when you're rich, you can be a louse. He's a prissy louse. Yeah. So, but, so I understand, like, she's not into him romantically. And I get that. So I I get the pull of of her being attracted to somebody else and that kind of being the crux of the story. But I mean, they 
they just don't spend it. Like, there's not enough time developed between her and the discount Domnell Gleeson. <gasps> he does look like Domnell Gleeson. <laughs> wow. To really make me pull for them. Domnell. I think it's pronounced Domnell. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, so there's not enough. There's not enough between them to make me say they definitely should be together over this other one. You know, I would, in a, in a way, agree with you. Because, like, maybe it's because they like Daniel Day-Lewis. So where you're kind of like, I'm with you, Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm not really, because he's kind of like... He's, he, they're not right for one another, but I would right. argue that she's not right with the other guy either. So they have a kiss in Italy, mm-hmm. and then nothing. Like they, should they get back to the hotel room, and Maggie Smith's like, "We're not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to tell your mother. You're not going to tell your mother. I'm not going to tell my priest. I'm going to tell the other two old ladies because why not? And it'll be in a book. They were. Don't worry about they it. They were hilarious. Yeah. So, and then she goes back. She agrees to marry Daniel Day-Lewis. They move in down the street. Mm-hmm. And then he kisses her again. Like, that's the only, like, there's just not enough to keep the the fact that they should be a couple in the movie together. Sure. There's not enough of that. There was not enough buildup. There's not enough kind of fleshing it out. It's just two kisses. Well, I think you're looking for a modern, but you're looking for, like, a, a modern de- declaration of commitment. Whereas if you're looking at it at the time, in the time period, that's a big declaration of commitment. Yeah. And so you're you're placing the, they have to have sex in the Model T to, you know, to have this, dec- you know what I mean? To have this commitment to one another. I have to I have to draw her naked to I, be committed to her. Well, Titanic style. But that's, that's not accurate or realistic to the no, time period I, or is it accurate to Forrest's I kind of novel? understand this like I understand that part but I just don't feel like their interactions with each other I don't think Bonham kind of Carter and Julian Sands had great chemistry yeah they were they were okay so I I do like the actors in this movie I love I really love Helena Bonham Carter mm-hmm. obviously you have Maggie Smith you have Judy Dench who's in very little but she's, very little but, but she's, she's there in, you know taking Maggie Smith down the CD Pathways of Italy. Yep. <laughs> Quote unquote seedy yep. pathways of Italy. Well, she's like, let's go down this dark alley and it's like perfectly lit because it's I, daytime. I know. <laughs> Those guys in the fedoras and they're like, hey, hey, he- how's it going? Hello. And they're like, ah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, I also really liked the opening of this movie. That was this movie a, I know you said this is based on a book. Was this also a play at one point? Do you know? I do not know. Because the opening with all the title cards and mm-hmm. the cast in that. I did enjoy the title cards. Like, it reminded me of, like, a playbill. Oh, sure. Like, act one, scene four. Right, but, like, so-and-so, blah, 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 you know. It yep. not only gave, it not only sometimes gave their name, but, like, a description of the character. Yep. This is the person, and this is what you should know about them. Right. In some ways, it reminded me of. Without the character description, it reminded me of chapter titles, yeah, or something like that. I I did enjoy that bit uh, quite a lot. Yeah, um, I can see why you didn't like it. This movie is not. It's for, very dry. It's very dry. It is. It, it's British, quote unquote. This comedy. is. This is, this is the, supposed to be a comedy. I I just remembered how I wanted to sum up this movie. This is the le- This is the less interesting version of Downton Abbey. 
Um, yes. Yes. I would yes, I would yeah. agree with that. I know people who love this movie. It's not meant for us. This is not a movie that that attunes to our taste, mm-hmm. and so it is a very well made movie. It's not for us. Structurally, it's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just not. For it's us. not. It's not a horrible movie. Like we've seen some bad movies that we dislike. Oh, yeah. While I don't like this film, I wouldn't put it in a bad film category. I would say if you like this kind yeah. of, if you like the genre of story, you'll certainly like this movie. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't recommend, this is not a for everyone kind of movie. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you like romantic movies, it's this might not be your cup of tea. You have to like, if you like Jane Foster, I mean Jane Foster. <laughs> E.M. Foster or Jane Austen, I merged yeah. them together. You know, something like if you then this movie is for you. Yeah. But it's not that style's not for everybody. That's well, okay. So who knows? Maybe if they come out with a, a modernized version of Room with a View and Vampires, <laughs> you know, we'll we'll revisit it. Although could, I I do look I do like both Pride and Prejudice and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And zombies. Yeah. Wonderful. I don't think I actually have any fun facts about this one. Um, oh wait, no, I do. The view is not that good. I that is, no, that is my the, only. The view is pretty great. I, I don't think know. it's shot well, though. If that if that actually helps, yeah. I don't think the because I've been to Florence a few times, and I was looking around, I was yeah, like, I've been to Florence a few times. Yeah, bah, 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 bah. anyway, I've been a few times, and like looking at this movie, I was like, it's all right. <laughs> like, and I've been there, and it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a great place. I've seen friends who have gone, or like whatever, of like pictures on Instagram that look better than some of the shots in this film. You know why? It's just because it's eighties. Yeah, it's eighties cameras and tech. You know, it, yep. it's not going to look modern. Yeah, it's not high it's not, def. It's not it's high not. def. It's not any. It's just. It's just not going to look. It's not going to catch your eye the same way. Yeah. Um. But the, that's but that's okay. The scene inside the square mm-hmm. where like a fight randomly breaks out because one person bumped into the other mm-hmm. and they you know, the guy gets stabbed and dies. Mm-hmm. I was really waiting for that to just be like a like a random it's spontaneous <laughs> a spontaneous Romeo and Juliet play. <laughs> Nope. That she had no idea what was going on? Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. It was just a thing that happened. <laughs> yep. Just a thing. Just so she could faint and drop her photographs and then oh. try to sneak away. Anyway, I'm going to continue. Okay. Hannah and Her Sisters, directed and written by Woody Allen, starring Mia Farrow, Diane Wiest, Barbara Hershey, Michael Caine, Woody Allen himself, and then supporting cast of Cracks Knuckles. Carrie Fisher, Max von Sydow, Louis Black, Julia Louise Dreyfus, Daniel Stern, John Turturro, J.T. Walsh, and Richard Jenkins. Now, half of those people are literally only in like one scene. I know, but it doesn't matter. It's what um, Jeff Goldblum was in, like not even ten seconds of of Annie, Annie Hall, Hall, and I said his. But those name. were the best ten seconds. They of were, Annie Hall. They were great ten seconds, but some of these. I mean, some of them are, like, before they were famous. Yeah. You know, like Julia Ruiz Dreyfus. Even Daniel Stern, who people might not remember who Daniel Stern is, but he's the... He's the he's, tall, He's not Joe bandit. Pesci in, in, <laughs> in, in a Home Alone. He's the other... He's the so other he's bandit. the kid that's left Home Alone? Yeah, he's Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> um, anyway, so Hannah and her sisters tells the story of... Tells the story of not Hannah... No, nope. just pretty much her sisters. It tells the story of her of her sisters, and Hannah is also there. Yeah, it's weird, right? 
Um, let me tell you. Well, let me do the whole story. Let me do the whole story first, and then I'll um, and then I'll go back and be like, "Why is Hannah left in the dust? I don't understand." <laughs> so the the movie revolves around a few different a few different members of the cast, and you follow kind of a multitude of their stories, and they're all connected together. Uh, Hannah is played by Mia Farrow, and then her sisters, Holly, Diane Wiest, and Lee Barber Hershey. You really follow Lee more than than Hannah, mm-hmm. and you follow Holly a little bit less than Lee and a little bit more than Hannah. Right? Yeah. You would assume? So, so the movie kind of starts in it. Michael Caine is married to Mia Farrow, Hannah, and he has a super crush. He thinks he's in love with his sister-in-law, Lee, played by Barbara Hershey, mm-hmm. and he just can't get out of his own way because he... He feels bad. He's like, I love my wife, but I like love my sister-in-law. And so you follow his kind of, you follow his story. You follow Lee, Barbara Hershey, as she kind of navigates her relationship with Max von Sydow and then her affair with Michael Caine. And then you follow Woody Allen, who is the ex. Is Woody Allen. Is Woody Allen, but he's the he is the ex husband of Hannah of Hannah mm-hmm. and who she set up with a date after they broke up with her sister, which is fine and weird, but it's okay. Well, they, they ended on fine terms. on amicable terms and they have a son together. And then, yeah, he goes to visit, he goes to visit them. Does he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember, he buys them a football and um, I think it was a basketball or soccer or something yeah. like that. Anyway, not the whole not the whole point. And then so you follow him. He's kind of a hypochondriac. And so but he thinks but yet that he actually has some but, sort of. But he, he, well, he, he goes and he like actually has something in his ear. And so yeah. they, so he, you kind of follow that story and it they all kind of blend and merge together. And Carrie Fisher's also there being an actress. And Diane Weist is like, I'm also trying to be an actress and I can't get my life together. For people who don't know who Diane Weist is, she is the she is the husband of Senator Keeley in The Birdcage. She's the husband? She is the wife of Senator Keeley in The Birdcage. Yeah, better. Yeah, there you go. Uh, played by Gene Hackman. Yep. Okay. So that's that's basically the movie. The movie you follow three or four, and their stories all kind of run and merge together. This uh, it was nominated for best picture, director, art direction, production design, and editing, and it won supporting actress for Diane Weist, supporting actor for Michael Caine, and original writing for the supporting screen. actor. Yep, they're Who's all the main actor though. Yeah, but he's not the but he's the movie's not real. I guess I guess the argument is that like the movie's not really about one person; it's about all of them, okay. and so they all kind of support one another. I guess that was kind of the rationale. Okay. Um, I this was his first this this might have been Michael Caine's first Oscar, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, it's it not his have. first nomination, right? But I think it's. I think he might have won for Alfie, actually. Yeah. I think he might have Which won. Which I believe we also get to this season. I think it's next season. I'm pretty sure it's this season. Sweet. Sweet. I love Michael Caine. He was so good in this movie. He was so good. He, he was good. 
And I really liked Barbara Hershey in this movie. She was great. She, I think, she... I want to say she was the best part of the movie, but she might have been the best part of the movie. I think she kind of lights up the she kind of she lights does. up the screen yeah. in a way that nobody else in the movie really did. I mean, it's kind of so it really should have been Lee and her sisters. Yeah. That's you know what I mean? Because it's kind of all these things that. So the point is that Hannah has all of these like weirdos in her life, basically, who yeah. just can't get their lives together, whether she knows it or not, because mm-hmm. she does not ever find out that her husband's cheating on her with her sister-in-law it's not like well and it's I kind mean, of like it's her a, sister writes it into a script yes that's true at the end but i don't know if she connects the dots no she's like that that doesn't happen he loves me i love him yeah, we're and fine he, and he does love her he kind of like has this moment of insanity and then he goes wait what am i doing i love my wife and then she and then and then well, Lee's like, I mean, to be fair that i was, really feel really close to you and he's like ah that was that was after lee dumped him no yeah no 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 he he has they have sex and then he goes home Gets in bed and he has the inner monologue and he's like, "I, I love my wife. What am I doing? This is crazy. I want to call her and tell her it's over." And then he's about to call and she calls and he's and she's like, "Hey, just wanted to let you know that I, you know, I'm feeling. I feel really close to you. Thanks. Bye." And he's like, "God, that's not good." So, um, so no, he does it before Lee dumps him. Ah, well, he should have. He should have just. Done it at that moment. No, he should have not done Hannah it at all. Lee. You should have dumped Hannah. He should have dumped Hannah for Lee. Well, that would have been an awkward Thanksgiving because it's framed around two. I mean, to be fair, it would already be an awkward Thanksgiving if that came out. That's also true. Good point. I, but I think the point. So it's like the point is that all of these people are in Hannah's life, and so yeah. she's the bridge that connects all of them. Hence, Hannah she's and her the sisters bridge on the River Kwai. Exactly. But, but. She, Hannah herself, Mia Farrell, doesn't really have a lot to do in this film. Yeah. She's just kind of, she's the stable one. She is. Um, Woody Allen just kind of plays Woody Allen. I love Woody, but I like when Woody Allen plays Woody Allen. He, he play- I mean, he's not capable of playing anything else. No, but he's Woody really Allen. not. He, he, he has a very specific role. And he's just really good in that role. Yes, I mainly think, because you fully believe that's really him. I agree. And this this role that he this hypochondriac he's chosen for himself this is his like most neurotic self. And so it, like his the regular neurotic Woody Allenness plays into this role. Well. And I will say, having watched this movie. At the point in my life that I've just went through the past couple of months with anxiety, like I'm sitting there, I'm like, God, this is this is how my friends have seen me for the past two months. Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> this is a like personal topic, but oh, no, it's been not been like that. No, I know. I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't to that extent. But I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, man, is this how is this how crazy I sounded? But. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I didn't, like, it didn't make me feel bad, it didn't make me feel like, it didn't, like, give me any sort of shame, but it was, it was, it was funny seeing it at that point in time when I'm like, this is how I looked and sounded for the last two months. So you're looking at that going, (laughs) I connect to this movie on a personal level. (laughs) Um, and even then, like, I'm sitting there going, oh, man, like, 
So he's, you know, he's his Woody Allenist here. I do like Michael Caine. I I like Barbara Hershey. But there's just something about, I will say two things about Woody Allen's writing. Yes. In this, in this movie, same kind of thing in Annie Hall. Not as much lately. Like in Match Point, I think it, it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, he also had another movie with Hugh Jackman and Scarlett Johansson. Um, Hugh Jackman and Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, where she, where she thinks he's a murderer. It's a great movie. It's a, it's a comedy, but it's a great movie. Yeah, it's Woody Allen. Yeah, Match Point's not a comedy. It was not... Oh, uh, you will meet a tall, dark stranger. No, no, no. That's definitely not it. Um, whatever works. No, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Nope, that's also not a comedy. Cassandra's Dream. No, Scoop. Scoop. That was it. Scoop. Great movie. American journalism student in London scoops a big story and begins an affair with an aristocrat as an incident unfurls. Hugh Jackman, Scarlett Johansson. Yep. Yeah. Very funny, really good. But at least at this period in time, his his writing to me is boring, but very realistic. Okay. At times, this movie just feels like they put on a camera and this is what was going on. He He had that ability to make this just feel like real life. Mm-hmm. But at that same point... It felt too much like real life that it was just very boring to watch to me. Um, I, I disagree with you. I think that I think this movie rings true. Certainly, I think he did hit. A, I think he kind of like hit on a nerve that a lot of people experience, and which is why I think this is one of his. This is one of his better movies. Okay, but I, I don't. I wouldn't call it boring. I think it's interesting because it hit. It hits that kind of that vein that nerve you know like it hits the it, it's on the pulse of something okay whether it's something that he experienced himself or he just gets innately um maybe you were bored because you connected too well to it at one point in the movie but maybe maybe but, but um but I, I if you don't know which woody allen movie like if you're like i should try a woody allen movie yeah i then, would then always go with scoop I would always recommend Midnight in Paris first. That would be my my go to. But Hannah and her sisters would come pretty would come pretty close. But I will try Scoop. I've never seen it. It's really good. I will take your word for yeah. it until I see it myself. Do you have fun facts? I do not. There was there was no fun facts about this movie. Woody Allen makes movies so efficiently. There yeah. are no like we don't have time <laughs> for fun facts. There's there's just no fun facts about this movie. Um, he came up with the idea because he wanted to do a movie based on a sister relationship because he felt it's it's like it's more connected than mm-hmm. than brothers but I don't think that's the movie he ended up making. I don't think so either except for the dinner scene, the the lunch scene at the end with the three of them. Yes. I think that's where Diane Weiss is like I'm going to try writing and yeah. yeah that scene was really well done. I I think it was also really well edited um because it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't break i can see why it was nominated because it it takes a bit of it takes a skilled editor to take multiple scenes of and multiple characters and you're supposed to follow their tracks and figure out how they're all connected to one another Mm -hmm. and remember their stories and what's happening and spend enough time with each of them it's not easy and i think this was done really well yeah 
But our last movie coming up is Platoon, written and directed by Oliver Stone, starring Tom Berenger, Charlie Sheen, and Willem Dafoe, also starring Keith David, Forrest Whitaker, John C. McGinley, and then a lot of other people down that list, including a very, very small bit by Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp. Yep. Know, who I missed when I watched the movie. I only saw him when he rolled in the credits and it did all the <laughs> pictures. I was like, oh, he was that guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, Platoon tells the story of Charlie Sheen, who is just fresh into getting into Vietnam near the Cambodian border. Which he signed up for. Which he signed up for. A, He's a volunteer. Yeah, this is not a... Um, draft. He's not, he's not a draft. Yeah. He's not a recruit. And he... He is. He writes letters home to his grandmother that kind of give you an insight into how things are unfolding. And the movie kind of shows the the harsh realities of the war in Vietnam in 1968. I think. I think that's the. I think that's the year where he drops. And the idea is that he's low man on the totem pole, and then you see how all the officers in the field react and act around one another and their relationships and who believes what and who's good and who's bad and who's gray and all of this stuff. This was certainly one of Oliver Stone's best films, in my opinion. Okay. I don't always like Oliver Stone films. Sometimes he gets a little... They can be a little grandiose. A little bit. And this one... I didn't actually find grandi- uh, very grandiose right. except for a few bits, which is why I think it really worked mm-hmm. because the point is that it's not. This is not a glorification of war in any way. This is look how terrible this is. The end. Like there's yeah. – you know what I mean? There's no immense acts of heroism. There's no anything. It just gets worse and worse and worse as the movie goes on. I think it's really it's really well – acted it obviously one best picture at one best director at one best sound and one best editing okay um it was nominated for best supporting actors one for tom berenger and one for willem dafoe it won best writing for the screen and it won best cinematography and it was nominated for yeah nominated for best supporting the two of them writing for the screen and cinematography okay which it lost to hannah and her sisters and um and the mission it lost to both of them? Yeah, cinematography was the mission. Oh, I thought you meant like it lost cinematography to both Hannah and her sisters and the Oh, mission. no. No, no, no. Like, what? 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 No, that doesn't make any sense. I think I think it's starkly made. It's upsetting. It can be quite beautiful at times in its own way, the way that it's shot. Like that sunset shot with Charlie, right. Sheen, is really, Charlie Sheen is really good. So the first thing that I would comment on this, mm-hmm. there is a distinct kind of rut and this is this is one of the reasons why I don't like war movies there's the distinct kind of rut in war movies that is to make the entire film look dark and bleak and very I, I don't want to say monocolor but like um, Saving Private Ryan mm-hmm. every, like all the colors were kind of diluted mm-hmm and that happens a lot. A lot. Of grays, a lot of browns. It didn't really happen in in Thin Red Line, which I think the only thing we said good about Thin Red Line was it looked pretty. That's true, but that's glorifying. The point was to to make sure that nothing about this was pleasing. Well, here's the thing: Platoon has some of some of the 
best visual images in the in the jungle and in the sky like it doesn't it doesn't shy away from the natural beauty okay and it juxtaposes it against the horrors of war yeah and it didn't try and bring the the it didn't try and bring nature down to its level which is what i think happens in movies especially movies about vietnam like even like the the forest gump scenes it's like always raining and it's very dark and gray like you have a lot of rain in this but there are some really nice sunsets even there's a couple scenes where just the the junk the part of the jungle they're in you have the rays of sun coming through the tops of the trees mm-hmm. and it looks gorgeous i have two things on that um one i think in some ways you are correct i think it's hard to dilute vietnam the, the jungles mm-hmm. it's, it's just pretty in itself but I think that the movie does start. It wants you to see that it's not an entertaining ground at first because there's that there's a couple minutes where he's just like fighting off bugs, you know. Like the first time you meet Charlie Sheen, he's like, "I got ants, yeah. I got ants," yeah. and then and then when they're on the night when they're on the night watch, there's a couple minutes where you watch him like fight a mosquito trying to get into his ear, and yeah. then he puts the towel on and all that. So it's like he's. It's not just sitting there, and it's not just humid. He's fighting parts of the elements. But as the movie goes, but as yeah, the movie yeah. goes on, that becomes less important because he gets used to it. Right. So he's like he's a he's a baby, and then it becomes le- that's not the important part. You definitely anymore. see his you definitely see his pain, his progression, and it becomes subtle. And mm-hmm. when when it finally kind of reaches an apex. You're like, wow, like when did he become this guy? So like you have the beginning where he's where he's sitting up um where he wakes up in the middle of the night, not on his shift. Mm-hmm. So it was somebody else's shift that the guy fell asleep. That's and right. he notices the Viet Cong coming and he doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Like he waits until they're right on top of him. And then you get to then you get to later on in the movie where he goes chasing after Willem Dafoe. Uh, before he even goes chasing after Willem Dafoe, there's there's an ambush. They're getting they're getting kind of pinned down, and he goes running to help people to the front. Mm-hmm. Like he goes running to pull them back and to help them, and then he goes running after Willem Dafoe, which is not something he would have done at the start of the movie. Mm-hmm. And just I to agree. see like his progression was so subtle that when he did that, I'm like, whoa! Like that's that's different. That's progression from him. And it happened so subtly that I didn't notice it, and it wasn't so out of it wasn't so out of step that I'm like, oh, he wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'd agree. I agree with all the things that you just said. Yeah. As far as war movie goes, uh, you're right. This doesn't glorify it at all, mm-hmm. and I felt it was it was it was very important to to comment that it's not glorifying war and it's from the point of view of someone who actually signed up for this it's not from the point of view of someone who is drafted into service Mm -hmm. because i i think that distinction like because you're seeing the war through their viewpoint that's right naturally the person that's drafted into service is not going to have that good of a viewpoint on it that's right because they don't want to be there in the first place but a person who signs up and wants to be there and then sees the horror that's in front of him that's a, a completely new take for war movies at this time. Yeah. Yeah. So I really enjoyed it. There there's one there's one goof I did notice. So there's a scene 
where they're trudging through a body of water and it's raining mm-hmm. and it's a wide it's a wide shot and the rain's pouring down in front of the camera but the rain is only in front of the camera it's not on the water the water is perfectly, <laughs> perfectly still. still and and then the next scene it's raining on or the it's cuts to all of them yeah. it being rained on but uh <laughs> but it's artificial like they did not shoot so it it just looks so weird i had to like watch it a couple of times but um but cuz f- about filmmaking the amount of water that it takes to make it look like it's raining. Oh, uh, yeah. It takes a lot for the camera to pick up the water on rain. That's why when you see rain in movies, like it's always a torrential storm and they're always like soaking wet because yeah. that's the only rain that really shows up on screen. Yeah. Anyway, give me some fun facts. All right. This movie is banned. Well, this movie was banned in Vietnam due to the portrayal of the Vietnamese and in Malaysia for its profanity. One side note, I don't get why, like, I don't get why it would be banned for the portrayal of the Vietnamese. I don't think there was any problem with the Vietnamese in this. I mean, they're the bad like they're, guys, but they're the bad guys. They're, they're, they're the bad guys because of the way the movie is shot. Yeah, it's, exactly. You're following the Americans. Exactly. But they don't do anything, like, underhanded. They don't. Act. No, I would agree, but they're still the bad guys from the point of view of the film. That's why. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I do see that, but um, yeah. Oliver Stone wanted Jim Morrison to play the Charlie Sheen role, and in fact, he sent a script to Morrison, who had the script on him when he died. Wow! Yep. Really? It is not known if Morrison would have decided to do the movie, but wow. he was still in possession of the script. And Stone is the first Vietnam vet. To win Best Director and the last vet to win it. Huh. Now, this comes with an aside because technically Clint Eastwood was in the armed services during the Korean War, mm-hmm. but he was never deployed to Korea. Oh, uh, okay. Wow, that's crazy. That's that's crazy. Yeah, I didn't actually know he was a Vietnam vet until I... Good for uh, Stone yeah. for making a movie like this because can you... Like, this the got to think about it all the time. Yeah. Well, I guess he did have instances of PTSD on the yeah, on the um on the set. That doesn't shock me. This is this is drawn from Oliver Stone's experiences. He wrote it upon returning to America after the war or after his service in the mm-hmm. war. Partly because he wanted to counter the wrong depiction that he saw in movies like John Wayne's Green Berets. Yeah, see, that's yeah, that's why this movie won because it's the really one of the first. This is what it was like. It's not Hollywood. This is what it was like. Yeah, because even Deer Hunter, like Deer Hunter, wasn't about the battles. It was about it was about it. It, it was, was a, about being a POW. That's right, and 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 even then, it was also about. It was about the effect afterwards. Right. That's why Deer Hunter split up into the the three parts. It's split up into this is what they're like before the war. This yeah. is what they're like as POWs, and this is what they're like afterwards. And this is the first like, hey, you know, we're at war, yeah. and it's not fun. Good, good movie. So we have we have our own awards to give. We have our own awards to give out. Yep. The Act- Rewindies. The Rewindies. Actor, actress. Supporting, supporting, music, writing, cinematography, and best picture. And we only choose people out of these 
five to ten movies. That's right. And we do not have to adhere by the categories that they have placed themselves in. So this let's say if you think Tom Berenger was the best actor but not the best supporting actor, right. you can give it to him. But you're going to have to make a case for that one. You'll have to make a case. Well, I won't. That's not the mine. But we'll start <laughs> We'll start with best actor. I'm just going to go down the list because that's how I wrote them. So best actor goes to who do you say? Best actor for me would probably would probably way to go to William Hurt. You know, I thought about William Hurt. I'm going to I am going to give it to um I'm going to give it to Willem Dafoe in Platoon actually. All right, you're going to have to defend this one because I, I thought he was excellent and I thought he was subtly he subtly built a real person without the movie giving him that Much, yeah. without the movie giving him much. He was he very good. I really liked he him. He could have just been a dude. Yeah. And so... But he actually, Willem Dafoe did. I'm going to... I mean, I'm going to actually flip this. I'm actually going to give it to Michael Caine. I'm going to take him out of the best supporting. Yeah, that's what I thought give you were going to do. And give him best. And I'm going to give Willem Dafoe best supporting okay. actor. I'm gonna, that makes a little bit more yeah. sense. Like, it's, it's hard to say... Defoe would have been the star because he's not the star yeah. of of like not even a little. But Michael Caine is one of the main characters yeah. of Hannah. And yep. So I want to give it to Michael Caine, who I thought was superbly, um, superbly good in Hannah and Her Sisters. He was, he was. You somehow were on his side, even though you shouldn't have been on his yeah. side in any way. It was, <laughs> it was excellent. Oh, I really hope they get together. Yeah, those two like, crazy kids. Yeah, like oh wait, no, 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 <laughs> no. Um, and you're giving to William Hurt, who I think did an excellent job and a lot of work for this role. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I am with you. What's, what's your best supporting actor since I already did that? Tom Berenger. Explain. No, I'm just kidding. He was so, he was so good. He was really good. And at the time, both him and Willem Dafoe are cast against type. Mm -hmm. At that time, Tom Berenger is like the, the good looking, the good looking leading good guy. And he's painted as this really dick mm -hmm. and Willem Dafoe who's typically a bad guy is this very heroic character yep I I really love Willem Dafoe's role in this and I almost gave it to him but Tom Berenger there were plenty of times where like I forgot it was Tom Berenger I totally forgot it was Tom Berenger the whole time yeah I mean the makeup helped yeah yeah Best actress. Best actress, Molly Matlin. I agree. Yeah. No question. Hands down. Best supporting actress. Go ahead. Mm, I'm going to I'm gonna give it to Barbara Hershey from Hannah and Her Sisters. Ooh, that's not a bad you know what? I was gonna say Maggie Smith. Just because it's Maggie Smith. Mm -hmm. I almost did too, and she won. She was Did she? Yeah, she was the original recipient. She, her scenes are no, so was good. She? No, she was nominated. She, was she nominated. didn't win. Her scenes were good. And Diane Weist won. Oh, Best supporting and I really, I really like her character and what she does. But I would say Barbara Hershey. Yeah, Barbara yeah. Hershey. She was, she was excellent. Best music. I'm going to give it to Ennio Morricone for yeah, the, the mission. mission. Yep, excellent, absolutely excellent piece of music across the board. Yeah. Although I really enjoyed the score to Hannah and Her Sisters, actually. Um, but I think, I think. The mission's score is kind of transcendent. Yeah. And it did not win. 
Yeah, it should have. It, it, it was some movie I've never heard of before. It also lost to Star Trek Four, I think, or Star Trek Six. Uh, it would be four. Four. Six 80. was in the 90s. Okay, then, yeah, lost to Star Trek Four. Fun fact. And Aliens. Lost to all these great scores to some movie I've never even heard of. Ah, I can't remember. I'm not going to look it up either. Best writing across the board. Best writing across the board? Yeah. I would, no original or adapted. I would just say, I would say Platoon. The board. I will agree. I think it is Platoon. Though Hannah and her sisters came really close for yeah, me. Yeah, I know that one did not come close for me. I want to say Platoon. Best cinematography? Platoon. I'm going to give it to The Mission. Think it's a really, I think yeah. it's a really well shot. Just the, the sheer, like, just wondering how they filmed on the waterfall. That's what I was trying to figure out the whole time, because it's on location. There's rocks on the sides. Yes, think about think about eighties and like cords and generators and like all this. <laughs> I'm like, how are you doing this? Also, there was also a way to get up there without having to scale up the mountain. <laughs> anyway, I almost gave. I think. Platoon comes really close. Yeah. It's and I would say Mission Mission would probably be my second. Okay. And then so finally the best picture out of the Mission Children of a Lesser God, A Room with a View, Hannah and Her Sisters, and Platoon. What are we giving it to? I'm giving it to Platoon. You are giving it to Platoon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Platoon. It's there's I, just I typically and I think it's because we both don't like war movies. Although we keep saying that and we keep tend to liking the ones that get nominated. They're not – well, I think that's because they are they are sometimes re- the best made movies. Yeah. And as much as I really love Children of Lesser God, I just think Platoon – Platoon does something important yeah. that Children of a Lesser God – maybe it's not – I wouldn't say – Maybe it doesn't do it as well. It doesn't do its importance as well mm. as Platoon does. Yeah. Let's just say that. Platoon is a way of being a violent movie without glorifying it. Yes. And and it doesn't come off as... It doesn't come off as anti-American. Nope, no, it doesn't. Like it, comes it doesn't, off, it doesn't paint us well in this in this movie. No, but it, but it, it's about people. It's not about the government. It's about people, right? What the people are doing in this war, mm-hmm. and the fact that it's written by someone who's there, who was there, who went through this stuff, I think also gives it more cachet. Yep, let's mm, go. Um, so, so yeah, platoon. Platoon. All right, cool. So that is that is 1987. Coming up in 1977. Do you want to hear the movies? Yeah, yeah. Coming up, Network. Ooh, Bound for Glory. Hmm. All the President's Men. Ooh, Taxi Driver. Okay. And and Rocky. Yeah, it's a good lineup. I've seen two of those movies. I would Three assume you've seen Rocky, yeah. All the President's Men, and Taxi Driver. No, I've seen Taxi Driver. Network. I've seen Taxi Driver and Rocky, so I've only seen two of those movies. Oh, okay. Taxi, Rocky, Rock. Taxi, Rocky. <laughs> Rocky, Taxi Driver, All the President's Men, Network, and what was the other one? Bound for Glory. Yeah, all right, so I've only seen two. But oh. I've been wanting to see Network. There you go. This is, uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. And we should watch the post right before watching All the President's Men. 
because the the post the Spielberg movie yeah. ends right where all the President's Men picks up. The post oh, ends it? with them in the Watergate. Uh, oh, right, it right, ends right, them yeah. going in yeah. Watergate, and it's the same exact scene that opens all the President's Men. It's oh, like a, it? it's like a weird prequel. Well, I've already seen the post twice. I'm not doing it a third time. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I'll do it. Go ahead. I'm not going to. I have five <laughs> movies to watch. I can't have a sixth just for the heck of it. Anyway, that's that. You can find us on Academy Rewind at Gmail and Twitter. You can rate and review us on iTunes and find us on all the places podcasts can be found. You can also head over to ThoughtBubbleAudio.com to check out all of our other ThoughtBubble Audio shows, which are quite extensive in number. Feel free to check us out there. Uh I think that's it from us because I think they're playing us off. No, I have so many more people to thank. Well, too bad. Bye. Bye. Bye.